0: Welcome to Science Talk, the weekly podcast of Scientific American, posted on May 11th, 2009. I'm Steve Mursky. This week we'll talk about the science of beauty, which in the case at hand is mostly the science of skin. We'll talk with a couple of researchers from Procter & Gamble who work on skin issues. Plus we'll test your knowledge about some recent science in the news scientificamerican.com this week features an in-depth report on the science of beauty. A group of SIAM staffers recently met with Procter & Gamble scientists Greg Hillebrand and Jay Teisman, who work with dermatologists on skincare products. You know, we mostly talk to academic researchers on the podcast, so in addition to the immediate subject of beauty, this is an opportunity to hear what life is like for the many scientists who work in industry. We wound up talking for more than 90 minutes, and I've edited that down to about 15 minutes of the most compelling material. In addition to me, you'll hear questions from Scientific American's Ivan Oransky, Peter Brown and Lisa Stein. The first voice you hear is Procter & Gamble's Greg Hillebrand.
1: I'm a biochemist, uh, and, and I've been working in the skin aging area for most of my career, 22 oh, years at p and uh, We have had... A very good understanding of the changes in the skin with age, from a from a visible standpoint. Of course, we get lines and wrinkles and spots and and that stuff. And we've got very sophisticated ways of measuring those changes and and understanding how things happen over the course of a lifetime. But now, more recently, we've got uh, the tools to understand at the molecular level what's going on in the skin, and uh, these. Uh, Expression genomics or transcriptomics are the uh, kind of the, the way in which we're doing that, and mm-hmm. that's that's Jay's uh, forte here. So I think you know um, my my particular expertise is is more in the the clinical side of, of aging and beauty, and then Jay brings more of the molecular uh, aspects. And so, so in a um, nutshell,
0: you're looking at ex- expression levels levels of mRNA at in different skin conditions of age. Exactly.
1: Aging? Exactly. That's correct. Young skin versus old skin and photo damaged skin versus sun protected skin and looking at the expression of of uh, various metabolic pathways in the
2: two different skin types. The whole point of it is that it's now it's whenever we talk to people and not you know obviously you're familiar with gene expression profiling. We've worked with beauty organizations since the late 90s in doing some gene expression work and trying to understand skin biology and all of that, but actually bringing it around to having it come out as in you know information that went into that early investment coming out as a product kind of rounds that story out.
3: And is this, uh, something that has either, uh, gotten started since or accelerated since Human Genome Project, or is this something that has been around?
2: It, it started relatively early. It's accelerated drastically, obviously, since the Human Genome Project. You know, we were some early adopters of, of uh, microarray technologies. We've been using the Affy technology since about 98 or 99. This is AFIMetrics? AFIMetrics, yeah. The Affymetrix gene chip, and so we've been a par- we've been working with them for, for a number of years, um, and we've actually done tens of thousands of gene chips. You know, we, there's there's a lot of pharma groups that have done done quite a bit, but we actually have a little bit of a different slant than what uh, a lot of the pharma organizations have have and are worked you in.
3: Mostly interested. Uh, this probably varies by what you're looking at, but are you mostly interested in what uh, gene expression is happening in the human cells you're looking at, or are there things growing on us that?
2: Yeah, actually, yeah, there's both. We're we're interested in both. Obviously, the the globosa study gave you a great there's example of our, our interest in dandruff. Yeah, you know, we're using the gene chip technology. One of the things that we use here is to understand you know skin aging process. So we're looking at clinical populations of of young skin versus old skin, photo damaged young and old skin versus non-sun exposed young and old skin and trying to gain a molecular understanding of, of the, uh, the pathways and the mechanisms involved in those. But we also are involved in understanding, you know, the, the host pathogen interaction. And a good example of that is the dandruff work that we're doing. We've done a lot of work, you know, uncovering the molecular basis of the fungus, but we also have done a lot of work trying to understand how, this, how the human scalp responds when it's infected with a fungus. And, you know, host path, there's a couple of things that are fundamental to our experimental programs. Number one is we have a lot of expertise in epithelial biology. If you think of a lot of P&G prog- products, they impact the skin. You know, even our laundry care can impact your, can impact your skin, but you know, we have our beauty group, our, our hair group, our, um, um, feminine care group, um, even, you know, it's the skin on the inside and the outside, gastrointestinal and respiratory and oral care. So we, 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 we have a pretty deep epithelial biology expertise, but we also have a great interest in the, the host microbial interactions as well.
1: Do you guys publish in um, dermatological journals as well as, I mean, is this all trade secret type of work, or do you? Do we publish in, in the derm journals and right. present at the derm meetings? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, as an industrial scientist, that's always kind of a
0: frustration
1: <laughs> for for us because we, we have our academic roots. And, and so, yeah, we do publish and, and yeah. present at, at the major meetings. and
2: Right, and we've just recently had a our respiratory care study, was published in the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care. Uh, we just have our oral care study looking at experimental gingivitis was um, just submitted to the journal Periodontology, and so there are a lot of other... Uh, journals that we do as well and then obviously the malcesia was pnas mm-hmm.
3: so what and did you so, find out okay so you got all these creams you got a million creams on the market you slather them on okay they don't really do anything so what is different about this i, mean, I want to tell it's you so. that's a good thing <laughs> yeah, you said when that. we leave today i'm
1: going to remove the doubt in your mind That these don't
3: do
0: anything. Okay. Now, tell me how, like, so if it's in the jeans,
3: you know, you got good jeans, so, you know, your grandma looks good. God (laughs) help you if she looks like she was run over by a Mack truck. What are all these creams going to do? And what's better, you know, if you're just putting it on the skin, short of burning off a layer of skin (laughs) and getting what's underneath, you know right
2: well well obviously there's a combination right so there's there's the genetics and then there's uh, where where you if you have the good genes you're going to have good skin there's the environmental where obviously uvs a major aspect of that but there's a lot in between as well and there's there's a lot of of room to understand the, the the mechanisms how how the environment and the genes interact and um, trying to understand pathways that can lead to skin wrinkling or that can lead to areas like that and i think guess one example okay.
1: in the epidermis stratum corneum you know and and that's the protective barrier that prevents water from escaping otherwise we'd all dehydrate in about 10 minutes also prevents the nasty bugs from entering and 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 anything else from getting into our body well that barrier um, is composed of bricks and mortars types of structures with the, the proteinaceous squames and the lipid cement and and one of the th- aspects that came out of the old skin young skin study was that the enzymes involved in cholesterol biosynthesis were coordinately down regulated in the old skin versus the young skin that was very interesting it wasn't like some were down regulated and some were up regulated there was a there was a coordinate down regulation of cholesterol biosynthesis so that
0: means there's not
1: enough cholesterol there,
2: that's there exactly wasn't and, it. and, and yeah, yeah
1: and, and that's uh, uh, makes up about 25% of the Mortar that builds the brick and mortar stratum corneum. You know, then then a screening study program was done to try to identify agents that could help to take the lipid biosynthetic pathway of older skin keratinocytes to make them produce more cholesterol. And and one of the actives that came out of that was hexamidine, and then that was put into one of the products, the the hydrofirming cream here. And its ability to repair the barrier function was proven in a clinical study. So the, the, the cycle goes like genomics, identify the targets, uh, identify actives that are aimed at those targets, formulate them in the products, prove their clinical efficacy, and then, you know, publish. And then we, you know, kind of, we see this as a cycle.
0: Right. Clinical effi- efficacy based on cholesterol levels or based on objective Objective uh, views of their of the skin.
1: Ob- well, both visual mm-hmm. uh, assessments, uh, t- depending on what we're looking for. Okay, and and we have uh, recently completed a study where we focused on fine lines and wrinkles, but simultaneously we also measured the barrier function using what's called transepidermal water loss, which is the escape of water from mm-hmm. from, from through the
2: skin. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, after six months, it was a six month study. Uh, there was an improvement, significant improvement of the barrier function uh, after
0: six months. Do we know that the cholesterol is what's actually involved in the improvement, though? Have you measured the actual cholesterol levels?
1: We have not. We have taken, though, and this work is in progress, tape strips of the subject's stratum corneum from the face where they were treated. And those are going through the genomics expression profiling. So that work closes the loop on on the, that cycle, and that's work that's in progress. And yeah, where yeah. is that, by the it's way? It's
2: about the RNA is about half isolated. It's a lot of clinical samples, and it's it's tape strips on on faces, and so it's it's difficult to get. But the yeah. RNA is about half isolated.
0: Because you exactly. want to know that the mechanism you oh, think absolutely. You're, sure. you're working with sure. is actually the one that's happening, right? You
2: bet. And you know, and obviously with the tape strip though, we're just getting some, some superficial um epithelial layers. We did not do biopsies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so but we, we'll get some information about what's going on at that at that at that at that, that top layer.
3: you probably work with what, academic academic medical centers to do these trials oh, sure. or you do them in you don't do them in house. It's, it's it's a combination. It's, it's it's this is something where I go to clinicaltrials.gov or something and I say uh what do you do? You say free face you know, free face cream or what what do you say that to- to Touch get people, people. Oh, to yeah. come? Ugly
1: people? How do you, do you, do you mean problem? for the registered trials? Yeah. That's a good point. This, do you mean, how do you find out more about this study? Or? Yeah, I mean, in other words, somebody had, how, no, how, how do, do you, recruit you recruit people? How do you
3: recruit, do you recruit ah, people? Recruit, yeah. You know,
0: hate your skin. You know, <laughs> you, know you ride the New York City subways and you right. see these, yeah, yeah. these ads, yeah. you know. We have
2: multiple ads in our local newspapers. I've seen them and I said, I know that's a study for a P&G study, yeah. you know. So yeah, there's a lot of recruiting and, like that, yeah, radio, TV.
1: And then they come in and they, they go through a, a clinical grading to see if they meet, uh, certain, you know, inclusion and exclusion criteria in the questionnaire and, and, uh, But you're
3: dealing mostly with healthy people. In mean, know, trials. Yes. yes. Once they get to phase three or not. I mean, you know, phase one trial shouldn't be, it should be healthy people. Uh, but those are very small, but you're, you're actually, you know, testing something on healthy people. So that Mm -hmm. sort of begs the question of, uh, you know, how, I'm just curious about how that differs from trials that people are, you know, really kind of desperate to get into. I mean, if you have a terminal cancer where there is no treatment and you want to be in a trial for a, you know, how do you, uh, Mm. how do you, how do you incentivize that?
2: (laughs) You pay them, paid clinical subjects, correct? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Anyone who caught last week's episode of 30 Rock knows that members of different racial groups may appear to age at different rates because of the differing properties of the skin. Our diverse staff brought that subject up with the P&G researchers.
1: For fine lines and wrinkles, there probably is not any difference between whites and blacks and Asians and Um, only the onset time and, um, the, you know, when they start to see the appearance of these problems, they're delayed because they have have been afforded the protection of about an SPF between two and four. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. from their inherent melanin concentration. Um, perceptibility of some of these problems like wrinkles and fine lines might be more difficult to see because of the Dark background, basically, because you're looking at shadows. Mm-hmm. So shadows on a dark background are harder to see. And and you know we we do three dimensional um, analysis too. You know I it I've I've done quite a bit of studies on the epidemiology of aging and different ethnicities uh, around the world and looked at big wide age ranges and um, the African Americans are uh, are delayed. Significantly versus Caucasians, Um, and then the Asians uh, were also, uh, you know, had really, really good skin too. Mm -hmm. For any given age, they're fortunate; they get to uh, uh, about a decade or so of of Mm -hmm. time before, you know, their wrinkles start to show up.
2: So SPF two to four is worth a decade.
1: Well, I depending on it's it's hard it's hard to estimate exactly how much that's worth.
2: Yeah, there may be other but, factors as well. I, I did a SPF study. might help. I mean, like heart disease. And things like no, no, Maybe. I mean,
0: there might no. be other factors the within g- the skin g- itself. G- yeah, yeah. inherently higher cholesterol level. I mean, I'm just throwing yeah, yeah, stuff you know, out, but there could right, be right. a g- factor. Yeah, uh, I did a, g- I did I did g- a study comparing the right, aging
1: on. of a, a population of women who lived in northern Japan versus a population that lived in southern Japan and what I like love about Japan is that there's this homogeneity of the population. The differences in the UVB reaching the Earth in northern Japan versus southern Japan was 1.5 difference, and you can equate that directly into an SPF of 1.5. Right. And there was significantly less wrinkling in the northern group, than, and it was visibly less in, than in the southern group. And I could tell you that the, the number of years difference for 1.5 I think in wrinkles was like about eight. Now
0: that's a published paper. It's about eight years. Some of the skin studies wind up leading to more internal research.
2: There's the respiratory study that we've done, where we infected uh, college students who volunteered to be infected with rhinovirus, and we Nate did a nasal how scraping. How much
3: did you pay him for that?
2: I don't. No, I don't recall how do much do it was. Do 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 money? Money? Enough yeah. for yeah. enough, beer, so enough for beer. Enough for beer money right. for a while, right? Right. <laughs> 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was at University of Virginia actually I was down there yeah. when they were conducting <laughs> those studies and uh so we did nasal scrapings and we were we were checking how the nasal epithelium was responding to be infected with the uh with the rhinovirus and identify come
3: up with something that would actually well actually work? yeah we
2: found we found really that there was this this over response uh that the uh, the rhinovirus has been really you know it's a relatively Mundane virus, but your your body doesn't seem seem to know that. It's just attacking it like it's this this. It's attacking oh, so it, it like it's HIV. Like an autoimmune it does. Some of these viruses are closely Thank related you. to some pretty nasty. Exactly, stuff, Exactly, so. exactly. So your body can't tell, and so what's really happening is you're getting this big overreaction. And so if there's ways That's that so we good. can either pre-prime your body so that it, it doesn't overreact in such a way or, or somehow alleviate those symptoms of that overreaction, then we think that it might lead to new stuff for, for VIX. We see a lot of changes in, in, in immune specific markers, either because of recruitment of immune um, progenitors. You know you could, you could have you know macrophage recruitment or something along those lines. Or we could actually see some changes in, for instance, interleukins specifically in the epithelial cells are are changing. Um, So it depends on which study we've performed, but you can actually see you're either sending out signals to recruit immune components or your gene expression has changed because you've actually recruited in the immune components. We're trying to dissect that part out. We're trying to figure out. What's the, what's the SOS signals and what's the response mm-hmm. of those signals? We were really not studying the rhinovirus itself, but we were studying the host effect, the host response to the rhinoviral infection. Mm-hmm. And so we're hoping to alleviate symptoms of the infection as opposed sure. to fighting the actual right. virus. Right.
0: For more about the kinds of scientific research going on at Procter & Gamble, just go to www.pg.com science. it's time to play Totally Bogus. Here are four science stories. Only three are true. See if you know which story is totally bogus. Story one, moderate alcohol intake can make your mind wander, while at the same time making you unaware that your mind is wandering. Story two, researchers have found a gene strongly associated with narcolepsy, where you just kind of fall asleep at any time. Story three, rather than increase the trafficking of precious archaeological finds, as some feared, The advent of eBay has actually lowered high-end antiquities trafficking. And story four, an analysis of the foot bones of the extinct tiny hobbit people of the island Flores, shows that they could have probably outrun all but the most accomplished modern human marathoners. Time's up, story one is true, a study published in the journal Psychological Science, ...finds that a moderate dose of alcohol can make your mind wander and reduce the likelihood that you'll realize that your mind is wandering. Technically, this is called impairment of metaconsciousness, also known as smashed, bombed, or wasted. The study had men who had consumed alcohol reading passages from war and peace seriously. And then something happened, and and then I was working on this podcast. And anyway, story two is true. A gene strongly associated with narcolepsy was identified by researchers at the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke, who published in the journal Nature Genetics. The gene has a known role in the immune system, which suggests that narcolepsy may have an autoimmunity component. And Story 3 is true. eBay has lowered high-end antiquities trafficking because it has encouraged a booming fake antiquities market at low prices. For more, check out the May 6th episode of the daily Siam podcast, 60 Second Science. All of which means that Story 4, about the Flores Hobbits being great long-distance runners, is totally bogus because an analysis of the foot bones shows that parts of them are more similar to other great apes than to Homo sapiens, which means they would have been lousy marathoners. That's according to research published in the journal Nature, which features the hobbit skeleton on its latest cover. Hobbits would also have had trouble officially finishing marathons, because they would have had to jump way up in the air to break the tape as they crossed the finish line. Well that's it for this edition of Scientific American Science Talk. Check out Siam.com for the latest science news, the in-depth report on the science of beauty, and our in-depth report on the science of Star Trek. I saw the new movie Sunday and it's awesome! For Science Talk, I'm Steve Mersky. Thanks for clicking on us.